Whisper Podcast. Oh, sorry. Whisper Podcast may contain content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. That's better. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Whisper Podcast. I am your host, Zach Tyler. My pronouns are they, them. And I am your host, Dylan Gomez. My pronouns are also they, them. And we are back for your special monthly Irks and Perks episode. So if you are new to this podcast, this is a segment where we inform you of all the shitty news that you may have missed in the past month and all of the great news that came along with it. So before we get started and jump in today, how are you doing today, Dylan? Oh my gosh, I'm doing Or how, how has your month been? Tell me about oh February, because it was a short month. <laughs> oh, baby. I have not. Ooh. Okay, it's been it's been a, a tough one for me this, this month, but we got through it. We're here. We've got our coffee. Got our Americanos. We're ready. Ready mm. to go. How are you doing, Sarah? Ready to go, honey. I am doing wonderful. So first of all, to start off, um, just to kind of talk a little bit about myself, but to start off, I left a very toxic situation. So I finally quit my job and I'm at a totally new different place that I didn't even get to tell you about yet. So this is your first time hearing this, Dylan. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm starting new work. So that's wonderful. And I feel like ever since I um, quit my job and like I got hired at this new place, I feel as if... I feel so much lighter and like I just feel like so much more motivated and like so much more like ready and willing to like do things like because alongside getting this new job and also like being motivated Zach and I have really been taking in our feng shui (laughs) um so like we redecorated our whole entire living room and our bathroom so it looks amazing and like Feng shui is a real thing, and I, like, hate to put Zach out on on the spotlight here, but she did not believe in feng shui up until we redecorated our house, <laughs> and she was like, I get it now. And I was like, see, this is exactly what it is. Oh but gosh, awesome. overall, yeah, overall, my month of February has been amazing. Um, it's also my parents are both on their second dose of the vaccination, which is going to be an interesting outcome to see. So I'm very happy for them. And I'm very happy for um, others who have been able to get the vaccination. But yeah, it's February has just been a great month. I feel like it started off in like turmoil kind of, but then we got out of it and we saw the light. And it's crazy to me because I feel like that's exactly what my tarot card reading was telling me, you know, we're going to start in turmoil, but you just got to be patient and it will come. And it's come, honey. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy for you. No, seriously. I think I'll try the feng shui, honestly, because <laughs> because I yes. have been, I've, I've been honestly having a rough time because I'm having a hard time sleeping. Um, and when I have a hard mm. time sleeping, it just, I mean, that's so important. And I think I, I'm going to probably um, speak to my doctor about it. But um, me with, like, my large Americano. No, but <laughs> it's... um. It's been an all right, but I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy I get to speak to to you. Um, and yeah, that we're, we're doing this. Yes. I love, I love our, our, our episodes. They're always so informative. And um, yeah, I, I've been trying to actually keep away from the news this month. Um, mm. Sometimes you need to do that for yourself. But 
Yeah, I'm ready to come back. Yes, me too. And also a little bit about the feng shui piece. Um, hi, welcome to our interior design podcast. But <laughs> a little bit about the oh, feng shui piece. Um, <laughs> apparently, I learned that in feng shui, if you have anything under your bed, sometimes that could be what's keeping you up at night. So, like, for example, I used to keep, like, oh yes, closet doors and, like, a fan underneath my bed. And, like, I spoke to someone who has, like, a great understanding of feng shui, and she was like, well, you kind of have to think about, like, what the object does, you know? And it's like, that's how it can affect your sleep. So it's like, say, for example, you have doors under your bed. Doors are going to make you feel shut in. So, like, while you're sleeping, your mind will constantly be thinking that, like, it's shut in and that, like, you can't think. And, like, basically, like, you're just enclosed because that's what doors do. They close a space. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I used to have, you know what, that makes so much sense, because I used to have, like, a lot of books under my bed, um, because I don't have, like, I have a sh- uh, shelves in my room and stuff, but I have a lot of books. <laughs> a little bookworm. <laughs> I'm such a bookworm, you know, but um, I had, a, like, a ton of books under my bed, and it kind of makes sense, like, if you if you really think about it, because... Because the reason sometimes I can't sleep is because I'm thinking way too much. Like, I just have a really, like, racing mind. So I did remove the books under my bed. There you go. I think it was helping for a little bit. So so I, I believe it. I believe yes. It. Um, also, I was reading that, like, having, like, a ton of books in the bedroom is not um, ideal for feng shui. Oh, so, okay. Not a part uh, that I knew. Yeah. Yeah, so I was I was looking that up. I don't know how accurate I am right now, but uh, <laughs> don't quote me. But I did I did read that. So, so I think maybe maybe I should find another place for my books. <laughs> but I don't really have like you know like more room. Yeah, but, you know we'll see. I'll I'll work something. Might out. have to donate some. Hmm. <laughs> I don't want to. You're like, no, I need every single book. I am emotionally attached to these. Trust me. I get you. No, I literally am. I'm so emotionally attached to my books. I like feeling, you know, I know that we can like read and stuff on our like iPads and whatnot and our MacBooks and everything. But, but I, I like the feeling of pages. I think I'm one of those. that the sensations that are brought to you from books like you can't get that from an ipad or a mac you know like the texture of a book the smell of it like actually seeing the progress that you're making with the book when like you finish it but i mean i <laughs> i feel like we could talk about books and feng shui all day so yeah. <laughs> without further ado <laughs> let's go ahead and get started in our irks and perks segment fascinated by true crime like us if so check out our podcast crime divers hosted by me jill and me laura look out for new episodes every tuesday when we discuss true crime from around the world so what are you waiting for come join us as we dive in dylan this one i'm just gonna rip the band-aid off get the hard one out of the way I don't think you're ready for this. Well, I mean, I'm used to you ruining my morning, like, <laughs> with with some yes, tragedy. Well, typically, it's the afternoon, so you've been awake for a couple of that's hours, true, but... Today we are recording a little earlier. I kind of, I like this. I'm, I'm more of a morning person, so maybe we should do this. Yeah, I totally maybe. agree. We more often. This, yeah, more often, one morning. <laughs> um, but yes, go ahead. Um, yes. Ruin my morning. 
So, an Arizona lawmaker, John Fillmore, compares trans people to farm animals. Ugh, people are just, like, honestly just making shit up at this point. Like, they've been, but... Is he fired? Is he... Are we... Is that a thing? No? Oh. No. <gasps> yeah. So... <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, this is an article by Donald Padgett. Um, this was published on February 16th of last month. So, a lawmaker in Arizona compared transgender people to barnyard animals in a committee hearing last week. State Representative John Fillmore made the inflammatory comparison in response to the comments of parents of transgender and non-binary children providing testimony during debate on his proposed House Bill 2575, which would allow only binary gender options of male and female on official government documents and state identification. This is a quote. Uh. Quote. I mean, what's going to happen when someday someone wakes up and they want to go to a far extreme and identify as a chicken or something? For crying out loud, end quote, Fillmore in the videotape hearing, quote, where do we draw the line? End quote. First of all. Oh my gosh. People are so. <laughs> someone is very undereducated. <laughs> Please. Oh my gosh. Well. Okay, go ahead. What was your comment on that? One parent testifying was left shaken by Fillmore's statements. Megan Mogan had just testified about the impact of HB 2575 would have on her non-binary child when Fillmore made the comments. Quote, I don't think you have to be the parent of a non-binary person. You can just be the parent of anyone. And if someone dehumanizes your child, it's like one of the worst possible feelings you can have. End quote. Mogan told NBC News of Fillmore's hateful remarks. Fillmore explained to the committee he introduced the HB 2575 to, quote, give clarity in government documents, end quote, and that he was hoping to avoid the whole, quote, gen whole gender identity issue on gender dysphoria, end quote. He also attempted to differentiate people between people who, quote, wanted to transgender from male to female, end quote, and had undergone the actual operation or whatever it was for the transition from one to the other. From those who simply woke up and wanted to identify, quote, as a chicken or something, end quote, to the shock of listeners. Quote, the gender dysphoria to me is more of a psychological approach to a person's feelings as to where they are on sexual things, he said, which he feels creates situations I don't think are beneficial to society and the nuclear family as a whole. His comments resulted in swift condemnation from fellow lawmakers and citizens alike. I was angry, quote, State Representative Stahl Hamilton told KPNX News, noting, quote, there were three moms who made themselves very vulnerable and put their families in the public arena, end quote, listening to Fillmore's comment. Former Democratic campaign staffer Riley Benrins told NBC News, the House Democrats he was speaking with were just all in shock at Fillmore's comments. He filed a complaint against Fillmore for the discriminatory and harassing comments during the public testimony and for comparing, quote, members of the LGBTQ plus community to farm animals. Fillmore issued a statement calling the complaint without merit and saying that his comments have been unfairly and grossly mischaracterized. He invited people to listen to his actual remarks, which he believes do not remotely match a distorted version critics have alleged. He later told NBC News in an email he thought the situation was just childish and silly and questioned how can a society have a reasonable discussion about anything, for instance, they, f they feel the word blue is in fact red to them, and then to add the word green to the color yellow. Now try to have an intelligent conversation with an oil artistic painter. Okay. I feel like... He's saying, he's saying that everyone who criticized him is making something up. Exactly. Which is, baby, like, no. 
I think yes. there's a few points there that I was just like, sir, you've got it all wrong. Like, first of all, transgender people don't have to tell you if they got an operation or not. None of your fucking business. First that's of all. not in your fucking business. Why does <laughs> it? Why does that affect you? If and you're not interested. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and also, like, why do people think being transgender is, like, such a choice? Like, you know what I mean? Why would, like, at this point, like, it takes of people a really long time like at least I, I can speak for myself it takes a really long time for um sometimes to, to accept yourself or like and it's also you're not gonna get accepted by like a, like a, a large part of the you know society they're just gonna hate you for oh it's reason. only a fraction of people that like accept you like yeah it's, it's so a very small you, amount why would anyone like think like think this through as like a person who is not you know like i'm like trying to like think of this as a person who is not trans right how why would i want to be trans and like now being part of the community is like is like the best thing it's like a blessing to me i would never take it back like if i could you know which isn't it is impossible oh of course it is impossible but if i could like you know switch anything about myself at this point like absolutely not but if I'm seeing this through the lens of, like, a hateful person, it's like, if you think it's such a shitty thing, why do you think we go through all this trouble, right? Why do we do that? Why do we choose to, you know, give ourselves the shitty end of the stick? Like, do you understand, like, trans people have, like, some of the highest death rates, like, murder rates. Oh, my God. Um, it's crazy. Suicide rates as well mental health issues <laughs> anxiety Hello. depression dysphoria like you think that we just want to like have this like oh my gosh yeah and then alongside that i think something that else that's like interesting is that <sighs> i always think that you should think before you speak and the reason being is that because you may have the best, most goodwill intentions with what you're saying, but the thing is, is that you can never predict how someone's going to receive what you're saying. And that goes, that can go across the board. So it's like, sure, there are probably plenty of people out there that agree with him. I don't agree with that, but there are probably plenty of people out there that agree with him. But it's a matter of what he was saying, how it's going to not only affect the parents of those children who put themselves in that vulnerable position, but also the children that are hearing that. You know, so now they hear this white man that's in power saying that and they might think, well, oh, maybe I shouldn't be transgender, you know, because it's like, well, now I've been invalidated. Being trans, we already receive so much invalidation as it is. So it's like to hear it coming from somebody who's in that form of who's in that kind of power, it can just be very dismissive. You know, it's like, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, like when they would talk about as gay being bad, like on the news, I thought that it was bad, you know, and I thought mm -hmm. that how I felt and like what I wanted was like bad, you know? So it's like, yeah. and it's like something there's like just, you obviously can't control. So it's like gotta be super exactly frustrating like to hear those things. I totally agree. Yeah. And then to say that, like, 
because it's kind of like the joke that everybody makes like you know because i don't know if you've experienced this i personally haven't experienced this but like when people have say like oh i identify as like non-binary or i identify as a woman or i identify as a man or whatever it may be how they identify when people come out it can suck because sometimes they receive like what people consider a joke which is like oh i identify as like an airplane or i identify as like a fucking chicken like it's so dismissive and like people think that they're being so funny but it's just like you're not creative. I've heard that joke before, and I'm like, honestly, you don't... Like, that just shows your ignorance. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, it shows... It, it. I think it says more about them than it does about you. So, um... Oh, 100%. Maybe it, it's more hurtful. I don't know. Like, if I were in a different place, right? But I understand that a lot of people are in a different place, so that could be really hurtful to them and i don't think like we should be saying hurtful things like if you don't fully understand something why would you comment on it why would you make it the butt of the joke but i have heard like some pretty like snarky comments and stuff especially since like i am a non-binary person um and a lot of the time it's like how i choose to present myself like i i think a lot of the times like i do still like embrace femininity quite a bit uh even though i have like accepted that i am a non-binary person so i think also there's this like stigma or this expectation right when you meet somebody that's trans um that is not at all accurate it's like we're all people so we're all very different. You can't just put us like trans people all in like a category of what you expect, right? So, so you know, it's just it's you're putting other people in in this like frame. You you think that we're supposed to be a certain way, and when we're not, it, you know, it upsets you or whatever. So, no, the, the trans people don't owe anybody anything and trans people can be whatever they f- the fuck they feel they are right and there's nothing wrong with that um and the fact that pe- that people would say like oh where do we cross the line like are you a chicken like no that's not the same thing i was like come on yeah you don't understand what we're not playing make-believe yeah no we're literally just talking about gender you know the thing that's like literally on everything like literally everything is gendered in the society how do you not how we go about our world yeah how we were taught to go about our world like gendered so i don't really understand why how somebody could interpret what being transgender is as being like a farm animal or or something like an airplane or whatever like an object honey I think, I I don't know, I think your your perception on the the trans experience is a very accurate. And I think that speaking to, like, trans experiences, like, I think that I had the fortunality and I was very privileged in the fact that I just, like, put myself out there and I I put myself however I wanted to be seen. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was privileged enough to do that. But now everybody gets to live that experience. And say, for example, some child out there isn't accepted by their family or, you know, like, is judged within their family. And, you know, they're at the very beginning of their trans experience. Something like this can be so fucking dismissive. And it's just like, who the fuck are you, you know, to 
want yeah. to fit me into your mold, to want to fit me into your binary because it doesn't make sense to you. Why does it need to make sense for to you? But also, why, because it doesn't make sense to you, do you feel the need to dismiss it? Like, why does it affect you so much? Why does something that doesn't have any concern to do with you because you want to make it easier on people to understand? Like, fuck you. Like, I feel like for so long, we've just been compliant. Like, trans people have just been so compliant. And, like, the overall, like, LGBTQ plus community has just been compliant because we've been trying to, like, fit into these molds. But I think that we're coming to a point um, where we're just saying fuck you like fuck you fuck that we don't have to fit any type of stereotype we don't have to fit any type of anything so it's like who are you to even comment on this it's like get the fuck out of your old ideologies get the fuck out of your old ways and it's like mm-hmm. see things for what they are like i do think your choice of words like i i know what you what you mean but i just want to make sure like people understand what what you mean uh when you say lgbt people are compliant they are out of a sense of survival like if you're in a situation where you feel like you cannot be your true self sometimes you will kind of um mold yourself into what would be safer for you but I, but i mean lgbtqia people qia plus um are the fighters in the forefront of um, equality and human rights so i think and and, yes. and zach definitely knows that so i'm just i just want to yes thank you thank you for that clarity and for not anything to be misconstrued i definitely think a better choice of wording would be like we've been trying to fit into your stereotypes Mm -hmm. maybe i'm not too sure but you get what i'm saying as we've said before on this podcast i definitely believe that everybody is going to do what they can to give themselves the safest experience and you know that's going to make them feel safe in whatever way that is Um, you know, for surviving because we obviously want to survive and we want to be safe. So I hope that that didn't get misconstrued. Oh, I had some, I had a comment on, on also the, the gentleman who, you know, was an asshole. Um, (laughs) he said, he said something about, um, trans people attacking the nuclear family. Um, I... Sir, your cis white family? Okay, I would, I would... I have a problem with the term nuclear family. I do. Because I don't like... Okay, so a nuclear family, I need a definition on that. Because I feel like like every family is very different. You know? Like, a nuclear, yeah. nuclear family, is that, like, meant to be, like... Hold on. I'm, I'm gonna Google this right now. Hold on. Pause. Pause. Okay, nuclear family is is a couple and their dependent children. Okay, like that's exact- that's such like a vague statement. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Okay, so in my understanding of a nuclear family is just like a couple who have children, and that's about it. Exactly. So, what about that is affected by trans people again? Yeah, how are trans people affecting the whole nuclear family? Hello. If anything, like. A lot of trans people have their nuclear family, you know? A lot of them. Um, hi, me and Zach and our plants. Hello, nuclear. <laughs> We're a nuclear family. We are, yeah. I'm not affected by trans people. Well, I mean, in only the best ways, but not negatively affected by trans really people. I don't that affects anything about being in a nuclear family. It's like the biggest Hello? ever. And, like, who cares? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, do... Trans people are like, like, fuck you, family. Like, no. Usually it's the other way around. Family is usually like, fuck you, trans. You know? 
<laughs> or not not in all cases but you know occasionally like they'll like that'll happen quite frequently that'll happen but trans people like, oh for sure hello like what about that attacks in the nuclear family who, who fucking cares you know yeah me too and i think a mantra <laughs> to add to that is like i've been really feeding into the whole like let that shit go mantra let that heteronormative shit go, go. <laughs> goodbye go. honey all just trying to figure shit out on this little pebble in the ether. <laughs> Period. <laughs> uh, moving on to our next arc. Arc. So, <laughs> I want to talk about the hashtag find Psy. So, I know that this was a very controversial topic for, like, a week. And uh, it receives a lot of backlash. So... To start the story off, I would just, first of all, like to respect this person's request to not spread any more false information or photos of her. So I'm pretty sure I won't be putting photos of her on the blog, just to respect that wish. You can look this whole thing up on Twitter, as I did. But there is a lot more to the hashtag find size situation that I'm not going to discuss because I want to talk a little bit more about the backlash she received and I wanted to give some context to the situation. To start, find size was trending on Twitter on February 17th, 2021. Under the trending tag, there was a picture with a statement about the situation. Quote, Sai is a young black trans woman who, as an, who is at an increased risk of facing violence and has been kidnapped and is in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. On their Instagram story, they posted a quick video in the dark and said, quote, Tall, 40 to 50 Latino male, 5'10", I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, I'm in the basement, he could be back any second, please help. End quote. With this post on her story, it gained a lot of traction, not only on Instagram, but also on Twitter. A lot of people were quick to do their own investigating to help find Sai and get her home safely, alongside sharing her GoFundMe with the hashtag. But then, later on, February 17th, on Twitter, Sai tweets, Quote, hello, I am currently in a safe location, sound and alone. Please stop spreading misinformation and please do not spread any more photos with me. With the following tweet under the thread that said, These past few days have been very traumatic for me and I don't owe anyone an explanation as to what I've been through this week, but I will say for now that I am out of harm's way. I was not being held captive. However, I was in a dangerous situation that had activated my fight. End quote. When this and other content was posted in regard to Sai being okay and never being in a predicament to begin with, she received a lot of backlash from a lot of folks. They felt that their time dedicated to helping fight, helping to find her by spreading the hashtag, contacting officials, and creating updates was a waste of time. And some felt that the con- and some felt that the contributing to her GoFundMe was a scam because of her situation wasn't as drastic as they were led to believe, which is presently at $48,697. So it gained, like, she got a lot of donations throughout this time. To create some clarity, the GoFundMe was set up on January 8th of 2021, and the description is quoted as, Hello all, I am a Black trans woman managing this fundraiser for my financial, for my facial feminizing surgeries, gender reassignment, and various living expenses. This fund will help me take the steps into my transition as well as put my gender dysphoria at bay any support and donations are greatly uh appreciated just and i just wanted to put that out there since there is some misconstruction that this was created to help find her um but she also <clears throat> received hate because people felt that this created a quote person who cries wolf kind of effect, meaning that this potentially puts other trans individuals who are in harm's way to be disbelieved, which is a valid ideology that will align with the other type of repercussions she experienced. Mm-hmm. Some took it even further by <sighs> being transphobic, transmisogynistic, and anti-Black. So this is where my art comes in, Dylan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, the whole situation, I'm neither here nor there for it. 
but this is like where it kind of ignited a fire in me. I am a firm believer that most people's feelings are valid, and I can see how the situation can upset the people involved, whether it's the friends, the roommates, or someone assisting online. But I wanted to unpack this, and I kind of want to take a look at this from like a mental health perspective rather than just like a being mad at someone just to be mad at someone. Sai did what she felt was right for her at the time. Now, I know that a lot of you might not like to hear that, but that's exactly what happened. Hurt people hurt people. And the only ones who can define if something is right or wrong from our perspective is us. And as stated in her tweet, she said it activated, she had to activate her fight. Now, I'm going to go out on a whim here, whim here and assume that she was referring to her fight or flight mode, which within those moments of our fight, our flight mode is triggered. We can sometimes become subconscious to our actions and the situations they may cause and, you know, not really be kind of thinking of the outcome because we're kind of just thinking within that moment. With saying all that, I don't want it to be misconstrued that I'm defending side, nor am I saying what she did was okay, but I hope that this can help to kind of create some understanding of what someone who was or may be experiencing some battles with themselves. And also an understanding of what it can feel like to be in a traumatic situation. So let's talk about how people felt that it was necessary to send hate towards this individual in reference to her gender and her race. Although some people find that what she did was beyond belief and it upset them, it, it upsets them. The hate that is being sent her way shouldn't have anything to do with how she identifies or her ethical background. The situation should be seen for what it is and not made into something that it has nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with the actual situation. Behavior like this will only prolong and validate the transphobia and racism these marginalized communities already experience. And with the progress that has been made and the work we continue to do, we can't let one person's mishap deter us away from that. It's okay to be angry and upset at the situation, and how you choose to express that is completely up to you. But if it involves demonizing someone for who they are, I hope that you can reconsider. At this time, I do want to share that no legal action have been taken um and Sai has removed herself from most platforms mm -hmm. okay so for what Sai did i think i i agree it was not it was not right because social media is a powerful tool and it's a tool to help others a lot of the time right um a lot of trans folks like do experience just like awful and a lot of people in general like like there there have been people who are found who are missing that are found so i think that was a very ser serious situation and being like like untruthful about that is something very serious um i do i do think that it was it was wrong right what she did but at the same time um i think this speaks more on the like cyberbullying and the effects of cyberbullying like it's a double it's a double edged sword really social media because um at the same time the amount of people who were trying to help sai is incredible and i think that speaks um just volumes i think that um we we are a community who wants to help uh, each other and I feel like there's there was many allies who also were trying to um, were, were trying to help which I think is incredible and I think I think we shouldn't lose sight of that um, I think people are hurt because it was you know a lie but at the same time I don't think anything justifies um, attacking somebody you know what I mean I, I don't think I think 
like I said, I don't agree with what she did. But at the same time, like, her race should never have been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Her identity should never have been mentioned. Like, if you're going to be upset with somebody, be upset with them for what they did. Don't be upset yeah. about who they are. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm taken aback. But also, like, I think this isn't necessarily all the way negative because I feel like, like, I don't think everyone who helped Sai went back to bully Sai afterwards. Do you know what I mean? I don't think everyone yeah. did that. I really want to believe they didn't. Um, and at the same time, I think that when somebody is being, like, attacked, I feel like people who are, like, vulnerable. And and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think bullies a lot of the time have either experienced bullying themselves, right? For sure. Or... Or are just have really low self-esteem. So if they see somebody else getting attacked, um, they'll just jump in too. Yeah. Because they, they want to feel like they can bring somebody else down. They want to feel like they're in control. So um, I think that maybe a lot of people saw that this was happening and then just decided that they were going to hop in and cancel Sai, right? But I think, I, I honestly, I think what Sai did was wrong, but I don't think it had to do with her race. I don't think it had to do, obviously, with her identity. I think it was just maybe somebody who does need help, right? Um, but it's not the kind of help that we thought she needed. Right? Yeah. It's something else. So. It's very surface level. And I think that, like, yeah. there was so much more to it that we're just unaware of. You know, yeah, and and we don't know the whole, and we story. still we don't really know don't. the whole story. And it's like even if it was posted online, we still won't know the whole story because we haven't spoke to Sai directly herself. Um, but with that being said, you know, I don't, I do definitely want to acknowledge that people did that were out there helping her and spent time helping her. And like a lot of people were like <laughs> really involved in this, which I think is amazing. So I think that to be able to see community come together like this and want to like help this person Mm -hmm. i think that that's beautiful um i don't think what she did was right but i also think that there like you said like there's just no way that you can justify behavior as sending somebody racist remarks or fucking transphobia transphobic remarks like there's no like and i always like when i was educating like as if i'm some kind of fucking educator but when i was like trying to help people understand the black lives matter movement i was telling people you know you can't what that person did it's because of what that was what they did and that was where their mentality was at at the time it has nothing to do with the color of their skin it has nothing to do with their gender identity. It has nothing to do with any of that. So it's like, let's focus on the situation for what it is and not make it something that it's not. So Yeah, and I think it's important to state the fact that um, when a person of privilege does something wrong, it is not associated with the entire community of... Like, when a white serial killer white cis serial killer kills herds of people right um we do not say 
all um all white people white, are killers all yeah all white cis people are murderers we don't say that do you know what I mean? it's it's more of a if it's a marginalized group the action of one literally if it's a negative action will be associated with a extremely large group of people when in reality like we're all we're all people who all make mistakes oh yeah for sure there's 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 people who do great things and there's people who do awful things and there's people who do both and the line is gray there because we're all human so i think that's something it's a it's a deeper topic to to look into the the fact that like why do we label um people so easily like why do why do we want to like label a group of marginalized people by negative actions taken by one yeah and and don't really see it for what it is like a a group of people who all are individuals right yeah um and i think that it's mostly because at the end of the day like marginalized communities will always just be vulnerable targets vulnerable and easy targets and it's like you know, like you said, we don't group together cis white serial killers, but it's like, it's been we done and how the, many times before in the past? Like, <laughs> literally the the rate of cis white males that murder is like the highest. Yeah. Because, because why? Because we, we don't hold them as accountable. We don't hold the whole community uh, of, of cis, which I'm not saying we should because we no, should. No, no, of course not. Of, a bunch of in comparison to are in yeah but but in in reality it's like it's like hello like think about honestly think about um if if like like just like a group of let's say whatever like people who use deodorant right like like an organic deodorant if they were the ones murdering that's if they me. Were the ones murdering, I know me too. Uh, if they were the ones murdering like herds of people, then you'd be like, it's those bitches with the organic deodorant. They're coming for you. They're coming you know? for you. Yeah. But <laughs> okay, I I don't. I just didn't want to say a particular race. Or no, no, no. Of course not. Small group of people be, because there's still a lot of people using the bad kind of deodorant. Got guys, get it together. Antiperspirant. That's what it is. Antiperspirant. Um. Uh, <laughs> if they started killing people and they're 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 a smaller group, it's easier to target them, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't, man. I I don't agree. I don't agree with that. That's the the part that I just like. I just don't. I think Sai should have been held accountable, but I don't think you should bring up with like yeah the identity, the race, the religion, none of that. Like that. Like because that has nothing to do with the rest of the. The situation at hand that yeah. actually happened. And, yeah. you know, I I also just kind of want to make it clear that, like, the reason why the hashtag find Sai wasn't my irk is because, like, she's... I'm sure she's already heard enough, you know? And it's like, we already know. Like, people are already upset and people are already angry. Not to say that the situation doesn't make me upset, but I think that, for me, what affected me more is the fact that people made it about her being trans and her being black so this is something that i feel that we needed to talk about a long time ago but you know it's obviously been brought more to light and i think that we should address it and not only address it here and now but continue to address it because it is 
a huge issue that we're experiencing here in America. So I'm going to be reading you an article titled, quote, Stop Killing Us, Attack on Asian Americans Highlight the Rise in Hate Incidents Amid COVID-19. This is a article done by Nadia Yancey Bragg at USA Today. A series of violent crimes against Asians and Asian Americans have prompted activists and experts to warn that racist rhetoric about the coronavirus pandemic may be fueling a rise in hate incidents. Police in Oakland, California announced this week that they arrested a suspect in connection with the brutal attack of a 91-year-old man in Chinatown that was caught on camera. In less than a week, a Thai man was attacked and killed in San Francisco. A Vietnamese woman was assaulted and robbed of $1,000 in San Jose. And a Filipino man was attacked with a box cutter on the subway in New York City. Now, to just state, these are just very few of some of the situations that have been happening, happening to Asians and Asian Americans. It is unclear whether the hate crimes were racially motivated, but advocates calling for more to be done to address violence against Asian Americans say racist crimes against the community are historically under underreported for a variety of reasons. Meanwhile, police departments across the country are warning residents of increased crimes around Lunar New Year, in part because of the threat of robberies during the multi-day celebrations that began Friday. Violence against Asian Americans sharply increased in March as COVID-19 began spreading across the country, and some politicians, including former president, we're not going to name his name, we know who he is, blamed China for the pandemic, said Russell Jung, who also created a tool that tracks in incidents against Asian American Pacific Islander communities called the Stop AAPI Hate Tracker. Quote, when the former president began and insisted on using the term China virus, we saw that hate speech really led to hate violence, said Jung, Chang, chair of Asian American Study Departments in San Francisco State University. Quote, that sort of political rhetoric and that sort of anti-Asian climate has continued to this day, end quote. Acts of racist violence lead to increased anxiety and fear in a pop population that already has higher rates of anxiety and depression related to COVID-19 than other racial groups, Jung said. Stop AAPI hate Jung's website, which included a self-reporting tool for harassment, discrimination, and violence attacks, recorded 2,808 incidents of anti-Asian discrimination across the U.S. from its inception on March 19th to December 31st, 2020. Another organization, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, recorded more than 3,000 hate incidents in their self-reporting system since late April 2020, by far the highest number in the tool's four-year history. The FBI collects national hate crime data, but data for 2020 and 2021 has not yet been released. 216, 216 anti-Asian hate crimes were reported in 2019, according to the latest data available. That number may just be a fraction of the true total given that, that fewer than half of the victims of a hate crime ever reported it to the police, according to the data from the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Jung said that the increase in hate incidents is a particular concern in urban areas. In New York City, police data shows that there are 24 anti-Asian hate crimes related to the coronavirus between January 1st and November 29th, 2020, compared with just three anti-Asian hate crimes in the same period of 2019. Quote, this increase was cultivated due to anti-Asian rhetoric about the virus that was publicized, and individuals began to attack Asian New Yorkers, either verbal attacks or physical assault, Chief Detectives Ronnie Harrison told reporters in August. The spike in hate crimes led to NYPD to create an Asian Hate Crimes Task Force. Activists including Amanda Nguyen, co-founder of RICE, a sexual assault survivor advocacy organization, are raising awareness of Oakland case and other violent incidents involving Asian Americans. 
Nguyen said she created an Instagram video about the attacks, which has since gone viral because she was angered not only about the violence, but by the lack of media attention the case has received. Quote, when I made that video, I was tired of living in fear and I wanted to scream, end quote. She told USA Today, quote, it's so absurd that I have to stop saying stop killing us. We are literally fearing for our lives as we walk out the front door and your silence, your silence rings through our heads, end quotes. In the Oakland assault, the district attorney's office is investigating whether there is enough evidence to support hate crime charges. Almeida County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley said in a statement to USA Today. The suspect in Oakland assault, Yahya Muslim, was charged with three counts of assault, inflicting great bodily injury, and committing a hate crime against an elderly person. O'Malley announced a news conference on Monday. Police said Muslim is believed to have attacked a 60-year-old man and a 55-year-old woman the same day of the Chinatown attack. Meanwhile, actors Daniel Day Kim and Daniel Wu offer $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in the case and are donating that money to community organizations to stop AAPI hate. Um, quick thing. They should not have to do that. They should not have to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I remember this be- fairly becoming a thing, like, very quickly becoming a thing, like, um, when coronavirus, like became a thing and we are actually going to be reaching a year into this pandemic but we're not going to acknowledge that at this moment but I remember that coronavirus became very serious here in in the United States um people were already stopping eating at Chinese restaurants Japanese restaurants any type of Asian food they stopped eating there so it basically like are you serious really quick I mean I, I just want to mention that is a way we can be an ally. We can oh, support for sure. Asian American, especially small businesses. Um, that is a huge way to be an ally because a lot of people did stop uh, supporting yeah. Asian businesses, which is ridiculous. This whole this whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous. Like you, it's beyond. Yeah. So let's just set aside how how like messed up it is, right? The the fact that Asian Americans have to now fear for their life because. Um, the spewing of anti-Asian rhetoric by, like, former president, you know, and, yeah, let's just set that aside, how messed up that is, right? I, I, I just want to touch on this first. Why would you actively seek out, like, harming somebody by touching them? If you're, if you're afraid of a virus, okay, I don't think people understand how viruses work. Why would you go out of your way to expose yourself, quote, quote unquote, because obviously it's not an Asian thing. It's literally, yeah. if anything, an everybody yeah, thing. Yeah, an everybody thing. Like, you can get it literally from anyone. Um, why would you actually seek it out? That's the first thing. First thing. And I want to explain what a virus is. So a virus is something you can get from anyone. Like, anyone can have a virus. You can literally get it from your cat. Like, you can get a virus from anywhere. From surfaces. You can get bird flu? Hello, that was a thing. Swine flu? That was also a thing. Uh, there is, if you are going to blame anyone for the for a virus, I want to talk about America's fault uh, of, of kind of spreading this, the, the viruses, right? Not even, not even COVID in general, because we did a shitty job with that, but. Awful, but a yes. A different one. Yes. A, a just absolutely awful job with, with COVID and getting it under control. But the the fact that the way we 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 are the largest producers of like livestock, and the way we do it is so wrong, is so wrong in so many levels because we have all of these animals 
in really close contact with each other and they are just spreading di- like disease and viruses and all kinds of things amongst themselves and then we eat that so i mean if you're really worried and and uh, uh, the us was kind of the founder of the way we like hold our livestock now it's like the norm now around the world but the us really was the one that blew that up and we do produce the most um meats and everything so if you're really going to blame anyone for crazy amount of viruses and just diseases it, it it would be that um so that that being said that doesn't even have to do with the situation that that it's just i i want to i wanted to really emphasize that because this is ridiculous like that we would blame a group of people when it literally could have came from anywhere mm-hmm. it literally could have came from anywhere and i um, think like m- most of our topics, most of what we talk about here on this episode, people will always find it easier to blame a more vulnerable party than to actually take accountability for the situation. You know, kind of like a lot with what's been happening throughout this pandemic. The U.S. hasn't really taken a lot of accountability, like barely, if any, at all. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like... It's easier to put it on, yet again, another marginalized group of Asians and the overall Asian Americans. So it's just like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I suppose that these people are also in vulnerable positions as well, too, because it's just like, some people love and trust America so much. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be grateful for where you live or that you shouldn't have trust in anything. But some people just believe in so much, like, what we're fed that it's you eventually just become conditioned to it and it's become your normal thing you know it's your normal way of thinking so it's like if you're somebody who followed our former president and you believed what he had to say very dearly then there you go right there you just like that doesn't justify it at all that doesn't justify these people the people who are attacking asian and asian americans but it definitely it definitely inspired them and I think it's just awful. Oh, yeah. I think it's important to to, um, to really be a critical and to be a little bit more of... Um, you, you, want to, you want to be critical. You want to really think through, the, especially the media you're consuming, the people that you are listening to, just all kinds of things. I feel like you, you have to be an active participant in, in getting your news and in, in doing all of that. So... But we're getting off topic. Pretty much, I, I wanted to hit on that. Um, but I do want to hit on how yes. we can help the, the Asian American community. Because there's uh, there's many ways we can help. And a lot of them, like, are so easy. Like, we can literally just support their businesses, for one. I think is is super important. Um, like, spreading, like, the, the stop um, Asian hate hashtag that that would be really helpful like how we did for for black lives matter i think that same exact energy should be put into this and i think it's important to to also um mention that if it's one marginalized community being attacked even if you don't belong to this community oh for sure it is affecting everyone if we are attacking one group of people it affects everyone, especially if you're in a in a different marginalized community, because 
it can literally be you next week. Do you know what I mean? Like, not that that we should have, like, another reason to not be a hateful person or to not... But but that also like you're you're just going with a system. If you're if you're if you're not speaking out about this, you're just going with a system yeah. that oppresses people. Right? So I think it's so important. And the fact that that all of these people like are doing nothing and the fact that that um they're doing nothing wrong. Like they're just living their lives and and the people that they're targeting are the elderly and the people who are like you know who can't necessarily fight back a lot of the time and and there's language barriers there so a lot of times like we don't even oh, really yeah. know the number of attacks on asian americans because a lot of them aren't reporting because they can't or they don't they feel like they won't listen you know or nobody will listen but there are and we're gonna put on the blog there are like organizations and really great activists who are trying to fix that um especially helping people report uh hate crimes and everything because knowing that they are real that they are happening and to the extent that they are happening is very important because we need to be reporting more about this like the, i i am surprised the amount the increase is wild like the, it's it's like a thousand percent i and we can put an actual percentage like there's actual like data right but from what I saw, it's like over a thousand percent higher since the virus um, appeared. So um, obviously a- another way we can help, I do want to mention that we are neither of us are Asian American. So we we can't really speak on on the stories so much like from a personal perspective. We are just um, pretty much just reporting what 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 stories we can from from the actual people experiencing it right but i think it's important for for allies to amplify the voices of those um asian americans right or or just asians in general um it is not our job to personally give the stories because we're not experiencing them but sharing the stories like sharing their voices amplifying their voices is what we can do like like retweeting um reposting for them uh i think it would be it is a huge help so um because because they don't get it from from news sources there there isn't as much there isn't as much reporting on on uh, asian hate crimes as there are for like if this was happening in a in a different community, right? It, there would probably be more um, reporting depending on the the community itself. But since it's such a like marginalized community here in in the especially in the U.S., it's you know it's tougher to get the the um, the news out there. So if if you're an ally, if you if you want to be an ally, if you want to help, I think that is a huge help. Just being able to help them help amplify their voices i agree 100 percent, and i definitely like the part that you said about you know giving the same kind of energy to this that we gave to the black lives matter movement you know because it's like at the end of the day like we are a community and we need to show up for each other whether we're a part of that community or not and i think that alongside amplifying the voices supporting businesses supporting these organizations you know I think that we can also educate ourselves and continue to educate ourselves and not only in the sense about like 
what these people experience and what they have to go through. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we can educate ourselves as much as we want, but we will never be the person that's experiencing it. As well, I think just, you know, educating ourselves on how a fucking virus works and how that whole thing works and understanding the difference between rhetoric and fact. Yeah. So. It's really, it's really like, it is something to be concerned about. A, a virus is something to be oh, concerned 100%. about. Oh, 100%. But we are putting, we are putting the energy, or not us, not us, right? But um, people who are doing these hateful things are putting their energy in the wrong place. Like, if you really want, if you're really fearing this virus, right? First thing you can do, obviously, is protect yourself, right? Social distance, um, you know, wear a mask spread spread the cdc guidelines if, if you're really concerned about the virus right if that's really what you're what you're concerned about um secondly you can educate yourself on how viruses work and then educate yourself on how viruses are spread and transmitted uh, because, <laughs> and transmitted and yeah i recommend looking into into uh like meat production if that's really something <laughs> that you're dylan has documentaries <laughs> Oh my god! We should start a thing called Dylan's Documentaries. A little tag. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do love my documentaries. Your little but, docus, but yes, um, back to what you're saying. My little docus, yes. Yeah, educate yourself. Hello. And then, also, I think it's important to to mention that um, Asian Americans and Asians should not be educating you on No! Like, if they don't feel that they, if they do not, like, do that, they if they don't educate you, it's not their job to. You need to go out of your way to, like, look up stories. I, talk talk to your Asian American friends. But Take initiative. Answering. Yeah, Get if consent. Answering. If you're comfortable asking, or you asking them questions about their experiences, don't expect them yeah. to all want to because it's a personal, you know, how you, we don't know how necessarily it's affecting each individual. So not everyone is going to want to talk to you about it. And that's totally fine. We need to respect people in in that way. Um, it, it is not their job to educate you. You can you can find resources resources yourself, okay, yeah. baby. And there are people who will want to talk to you. So just just ask for consent. And don't be don't if there are things they're not comfortable mentioning, that's totally fine. And also just be a supporting just be a supportive friend. Yeah. Like, like in every aspect like come on you're we're all we're decent humans here like just go out of your way to just make sure your friends are all right even if they aren't asian american just everyone in general just be a decent human there you there go, you go. That, that's where i want and <laughs> to end this before we jump onto our perks i just want to say your willful ignorance is no one else's responsibility you should be the one that takes initiative and take accountability because you're not anybody else's responsibility at the end of the day. Just putting that out there. But with all this damper news, I hope I I hope that people learn from our irks and, you know, aren't just taking it as like, eh, we're here because we're angry. It's like our goal is for you to learn from the irks um, honestly, and be educated. I think within those irks, there were perks. Oh, yeah. And there are people... Like with our last with the last story that we mentioned, I mean there are so many activists behind so many each earth there are activists uh allies like people are standing behind you they, but yeah and and we we want to just mention that we are here for you as yes, well. yes like babies in any way we can support uh, any 
you know, if we have any uh, Asian American listeners, we'd love to amplify your voice. So um, by, you know, retweeting you, whatever you can do, whatever you can do. You got a small business? Share it. We'll share it on the podcast. Yeah, we'd love to. Okay, so there are a few stories. Okay, I have some pop culture. (gasps) We love some pop culture moments. Hello. Okay, so... First things first. I'm the realist. Um, the Golden Globes were recent, as of recent. As of yesterday. Well, our yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I I don't know exactly what day this is going to come out. So the Golden Globes were at some point, right? Happened in February, <laughs> yeah. And in February, yes. Um, Chadwick's uh, Bozeman, he won! No. He won. He ex- he he got won a Golden Globe, which is amazing. If you do not know who Chadwick Chadwick Boseman is, he is um the actor that was in um the Black Panther, and unfortunately he did pass away. <gasps> um, what? Yeah, at, from cancer at the age of forty three. You are living under a rock, Zach. Honey, <laughs> he died at such a young age. Honestly, at the like prime of his career and but thank goodness that we got films like you know um the black panther uh to remember he has so many great ones but um that one was like the big one that really yeah like so he did he he won and his wife um accepted his golden globe for him and um mad respect honestly to this man and i'm i'm so happy that he won uh, brings me so much joy. He gave so, so much um, amazing representation, and his performances were absolutely great. So I recommend um, rewatching all his films. I do. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. I love that, and especially since, uh, as Dylan said, I've been living under a rock. I will be doing so. <laughs> please, please, because it, honestly, um, you'd be doing yourself a favor because it's great, and yeah, and all. Oh, she just she gave such like a heartfelt acceptance and oh man I just like honestly wanted to cry when I was watching her I just but it makes me so happy that um that he's getting obviously the recognition that he deserves even after his death yes um that brought me so much joy um okay so next um I have a story and this one is use condoms um (laughs) no I'm trying to give you some positive stories, okay? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Positivity. So, an elderly couple falls in love during the pandemic and is planning a wedding. Wait, fell in love? Yes. And okay, and this when I'm talking elderly, I'm talking, I'm talking how old are these, 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 this wonderful, beautiful, happy couple? They are 94 years old, and they're literally um 12 days apart. Oh, it does into your heart. Just, <laughs> yes. Just I love love. Okay. So the story is from CNN. Melting. Um, and they're planning their wedding after vaccination. Um, can I just say <gasps> that is the cutest thing I've ever... I don't even know how people, like, honestly date right now. It's so hard. Especially thinking oh, about yeah. like, when you're a part of such a high-risk group, like, like the elderly at 94 but they were able to make this work and they're happy and they're out here so uh, my heart melt like butter yeah so that just brings me so much joy that there are people out here still like like love finding love yeah finding love 
there's never there's never a wrong time, right? To but you can't put love in quarantine. Mm. So people are falling in love. I mean, not us, not me, not no, me. Well, <laughs> yes. Zach is like I'm very much in love. I've been in love, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm glad other people are doing it because it brings me very much, very, a lot of joy. Yes, <laughs> and especially like some like at 94, like there's no impossible task, you know? Like, yeah, like it, it'll I think, come for you. It'll come for you even at 90, 94. Yeah, years I think it just goes to show that you can't put time or age or anything on love. No. Like, so if you're still single. At the age of 30, know that you have 64 more years to go until you could potentially find the love of your life. Exactly. There you go. 64 more years of, like, life. Mm. Love. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings me a men's joy. And I'm so happy for the happy couple. And I hope they will, you know, invite us to their wedding. Oh, yes. <laughs> Email us at whisperwfpodcast.gmail.com. Uh-huh. We've shared a few stories, like kind of similar to that one, but I'm just, I'm just happy for them. I am ecstatic so, for them. Ugh. I'm ecstatic too. Um, so talking about kind of educating ourselves on viruses. I'm not gonna be talking about COVID, mm. girl. We know enough. We girl, you made too many appearances on this damn podcast. You listen on COVID. This ain't about you. All right. This ain't about you. Okay. We're gonna talk about another. Um, we're gonna break some stigmas today. We're gonna break some stigmas. All for the stigma breaking. Yeah, no, because, um, honestly, I, I think about being part of the LGBTQIA uh, plus community, uh, and how I am pretty well educated on what, um, HIV is, and, but I think about it, I'm like, Maybe if I wasn't part of this community, maybe I wouldn't know as much about it. Um, and I feel like even, like, like the more I educate myself on the subject, the more I learn. And honestly, it's not a death sentence. And I feel like a lot of people still see it with those eyes in it. And it shouldn't be like that. Because it's not the end of the world. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's really not. Yes. And it is okay to be in a a relationship with somebody with HIV. It is okay to be... It. They are not, like... If it is undetectable, it is not transmittable. So I think that is really important to understand, baby. Yes. Understand it. Understand that. So so I have this, um, this article right here. Um, it came out on March 27th of 2019 from uh, Connor Young. And I believe this is from Out Magazine, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and we're just going to talk about 10 things. Yeah. You know, to break a little stigma, to educate ourselves, right? So, like I said before, if it is undetectable, it is equals untransmittable. So, you cannot get the, the virus if the person on treatment um, is undetectable. So, that's really important to... Um, to reiterate, because I feel like there's a lot of misconception when it comes to that. Also, um, you do not have to disclose if you are HIV positive um, to your partner. You don't have to tell them if your status, like like if you wear condoms and you're at an undetectable status. 
So they do not owe you that if they literally cannot transmit. At their discretion, honey. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So also, if you are worried about that, there are ways like if you're like, let's say having unprotected sex with somebody who has HIV but is undetectable, there are ways that you can still protect yourself as the partner. So you can use things like like PrEP. So that is actually, um, you, you take it just to, to prevent um, getting HIV, pretty much. Um, and that's a very effective tool. So, I mean, hello, there it is. And if you're a, a person who is like, you know, doing hookups and all that stuff with people and you just want to take care of yourself, I think that's an excellent way. I mean, it's pretty simple to take and there you go. And just really quick to add to that and not to put a damper on this, but if you are on PrEP, that is not include other STIs or STDs, just to put that out there, that is specifically for HIV. Just so you know, because I know a lot of people have that confused, but yes. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, absolutely not. Like you... You need to still protect yourself against other things like syphilis. Like you can still Gonorrhea. get that. Uh, uh, you can still very much get that. All kinds of other diseases we're not going to name. But STIs. yes. Yes, you can still get those. It is literally, I am talking about HIV right now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> other viruses and diseases, sit down. Yeah, so um, you can't catch really HIV from kissing somebody or touching them or from a toilet seat or from masturbating somebody else or using somebody's toothbrush it's it's literally or if you use a condom like it's literally something that it it can't survive outside of the the body for for very long so so it pretty much hiv dies when it's outside the body for for periods of time so um yeah you don't have to worry too much about about that also, the, the rate of um, getting HIV from oil, oral sex is, like, very, very low, too. So, so I think that's important, too, to, to mention. Um, you don't have to worry too much about that. I mean, still, like, if, like I said, you can always be extra cautious, but it's, if the person is undetectable and if you're just, you know, if it's oral sex, you're probably fine. Um so that's that's a good one if you do get exposed to hiv so let's say you find out somebody possibly is detectable and they maybe pass hiv to you or maybe you used um needles that you're unaware like if somebody um has hiv like you shared needles or something like that or if any way you you could have um gotten exposed to it um you can go to the emergency room and they can give you a treatment to prevent and lower your risk of getting infected. Oh. So, so it's not it's not the end of the world too. If like you find out later that, or maybe maybe you were assaulted or or something like that, you can go to the emergency room and they will provide you with um like post exposure. I think it's P P E P, um is what it's called, and it it will prevent you um. It will lower your risk, pretty much, of um, contracting the virus. Um, and then people with, with HIV live normal lives. I think that's something important to mention, too. It's not like all of a sudden these people are just, I don't know, on a completely different, like, level of, you know, living. Like, no. it's They're exactly the same. You can't tell by looking at somebody. And it's not strictly 
like a gay yeah it you literally anyone can get it too so i i think it's important to just protect yourself and have safe sex no matter who you're yes and there you go and just protect yourself like it's not a big deal if you do um get hiv um seeking out treatment also um a community there there are groups of support groups yes. of people with hiv so so you know there are resources out here like you it is not the end of the world okay and there should not be a, this huge um discrimination against no 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 so there's no need for it there you go, baby. i love that thank you so informative <laughs> of course of course i feel like i don't know i probably mentioned these things before but i think that you know reiterating and just making sure y'all y'all are educated hello okay i want to end on a positive note yes do it i want my last story to be just something that brings me joy brings millions of people around the world joy we're gonna talk about pokemon gotta catch them all pokemon um so pokemon hello it is hi hi do you hi do you does anyone not know what pokemon is i feel like everyone knows I feel like everybody knows what Pokemon is. So Pokemon, um, is you know pocket monsters, pocket monsters. That's what like it, yes. it, it like translates to. It's <laughs> pretty much uh, released in Japan in 1996. It it is a show. It's an anime, um, but also uh, it got converted into like games, just all kinds of stuff. And I remember the cards the cards cards. everything the concept is that the players would travel through a fictional world training and battling these creatures that are pokemon um and the whole mantra would just it was just so fun it was like gotta catch them all so i i don't know if you remember like pokemon go a couple uh how could i forget that was out of clock me out at 2 a.m in the morning fucking hunting pokemon that this like phenomenon of a show phenomenon yes it literally has taken hold of me at multiple stages in life okay um it literally just took hold of you like two minutes ago where you spent 10 <laughs> minutes looking at the happy meals <laughs> so the, yeah so that's an excellent reason to bring it up this month um mcdonald's did come out with the happy meal toys <laughs> and they are precious they are training cards and i want all of them you gotta catch them all, Dylan. Um, I was a hard, I was hardcore into collecting cards when I was younger. I had all the holographic ones. I had, I was really good at playing. Um, I, at least I think I was. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> to me, I was. <laughs> to me, I was. I, I uh, remember, like my proudest moment was when I like played through the whole game on my Game Boy. Ooh. And I, like, I, like, unlocked it. Like, I did all of it. And I caught them all. I caught them all. <gasps> you caught them all. So, uh, so pretty much, I want to mention, um, it has taken hold once again in pop culture. Once again, with the release of the Happy Mall Toys. Once again, all, here they, they are. They are all sold out. Um, but it's just so nostalgic, the character, especially the old character designs, like Bulbasaur, Squirtle. You know, the Pikachu uh, is iconic. Squirtle was my favorite. Iconic. So, so yeah. So, that, that's it. Pokemon. <laughs> I love it. No, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Go catch them all. We, 
Go to your McDonald's. <laughs> so, Dylan, to jump onto my irks, I don't think that you saw you this, have, but I'm wait, actually going to be... You have more irks? No, my perks. Okay, I was No, like, I have perks. Only I perks. A, You're like, honey, I'm out of here with a negative I, mood. I'm ready for some positivity up in here. Up in here. Well, luckily for you, I brought my positivities. Oh, so. let's, let's see them. It's <laughs> for us. Mother <Motorbutt> them. <laughs> Woo! Free the nipple. Um, Thank you. International court calls for repeal of Jamaica's homophobic laws. This is an article (gasps) by Donald Padgett, published February 18th of 2021. The Inter-American Commission on Human Rights made made public a 2019 decision finding Jamaica in violation of numerous laws protecting internationally recognized human rights for the LGBTQ plus community and called on the country to immediately repeal Lacheric laws from the British colonial era that outlaw consensual same-sexual relations with up to 10 years of imprisonment and hard labor. First of all, honey. <laughs> what? Anyways, the case... Gareth Henry and Simone Carline Edwards versus Jamaica was brought by a gay man and lesbian woman forced to leave their island due to the violence and fear of death at hands of homophobic police and gangs. Quote, I know what it is like to live in fear, Gareth Henry, one of the parties in the case, said in the video posted on YouTube by Human Dignity Trust, which represented Henry and Edwards in the case, quote, I know what it is to live in hiding and be ostracized. I know what it feels like to be beaten and left for dead, end quote. It's a real boost to see that the commission is taking our complaint seriously, Edward said in a statement. It gives me hope that one day these outdated these outdated laws will be done away with and I'll be able to return to my homeland without fear of attack, end quote. Quote, this major legal victory for Gareth Simone and the entire LGBTQ plus community in Jamaica and the wider uh, Caribbean, where nine countries continue to criminalize consensual same-sex intimacy, Tia Braun, director of Human Dignity Trust, said in a statement. In Gareth Henry and Simone Carline Edwards versus Jamaica, the Inter-American Commission found the government of Jamaica responsible for multiple violations of international agreements and rules. The commission declared Jamaica's responsibility to provide full economic reparations for various human rights violations and repeal laws prohibiting or discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression, and those that criminalize consensual sexual conduct between men who have sex with men. The ruling also calls for studies and other programs to stamp out violence and discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community in the island nation and develop and implement educational outreach programs to engender a more inclusive environment for all Jamaicans. The laid out case of litany of homophobic violence and actions committed are permitted by the state. Henry fled to Canada following a series of violent assaults and other actions. In 2003, he was assaulted by police in front of a crowd of 70 people, and in 2000, he was threatened by police after being chased by a mob of 200 people, chanting that gay people must be killed. Edwards was shot multiple times by members of homophobic gang just outside her home, who also tried to kill kill two of her brothers, including one who is gay. Like Henry, Edwards was forced to flee her life and eventually found asylum in Europe. Despite the violent past in his island nation, Henry expressed guarded optimism with the announced decision. Quote, I hope the Jamaican government will, for the first time, do what is right by the LGBTQ plus community, Henry said on video. I'm just so glad (laughs) that they're repealing because it almost sounds like crazy to me that it's illegal. Like, I, I can't even fathom what that looks like. I know that's me speaking as a privileged individual, but it's like to literally be ran out of your home 
would be crazy to me. And I'm just so happy that they're going to be able to return to their home and feel safer and, you know, not have the government against them, which are police, like, which it shouldn't be. But yeah. Yes. Okay. That's honestly, that brings me so much joy. I'm so happy for the Jamaican, um, the Jamaican LGBTQIA community. That brings me immense joy. I'm very happy for them. Also, um, happy that those activists, you know, were able to make a difference and and fight for that. I'm, oh, okay. Makes me happy. And I love that it was a gay man and a lesbian woman. Like, I think that that's amazing. Team up against. Pairing the perfect two. Yeah, like team up against the man, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Mm, Yes. Um, The man being. So I have another one. Jamaican, the Jamaican government, the man. Yes, a Jamaican government, the man. (laughs) Um, Which is also, yeah. Anyways. uh, (laughs) Another wonderful perk that I have for you today, which actually took me by surprise, but it makes me so happy. So, Miss Great Britain, Jen Atkin, comes out as bisexual and makes history. This is another article by Donald Paget, published on February 9th, 2021. The reigning Miss Great Britain, Jen Atkin, recently revealed she is bisexual and has been attracted to girls since she was a teen. She is the first out bisexual Miss Great Britain and told the son that she used to have a thing for female wrestlers as well as her brother's girlfriend while growing up. (laughs) I love her. (laughs) Yes, I know, right? Quote, I watched wrestling with my brother and I was obsessed with the divas in their tiny shorts. Uh-huh. I would also fancy his girlfriends, <laughs> which is something I have never admitted before. End quote. Wow. Adkin, an aviation administrator from the seaside town of Cleethropes, revealed that she dated a female neighbor when she was 14 and thought she was a lesbian at the time, but later dated men and even got engaged to a man. The couple eventually split and went their separate ways when she was 22, although in retrospect it was for the better. Turns out, her male fiancé dumped the future Miss Great Britain because of her weight at the time. Ew. Uh, <laughs> girl, he did you He did you a favor, baby. You don't need him. He did you a favor. Uh-uh, what, what's honey. What's her name? Uh, Jen Atkins. Rather than fall into despair, she used that rejection as motivation to get into peak physical condition. Over a two-year period beginning in 2017, she went from 240, 240 pounds to 125 through a re- regimen of regular exercise and eating wisely. Quote, I eat so much better. I don't follow a diet, but I think about what I eat so much more, she told Bored Panda last year. I still enjoy meals out, but I don't binge like I used to. I go to the gym five times a week and I love it. It's become a staple part of my life and has helped me in so many ways. Her title reign as Miss Great Britain, which was originally for 2020, was extended due to the global pandemic. And Atkin has has used the extra time to fight misconceptions. Quote, People see me as a stereotype, being Miss Great Britain in a mass in massive heels and a little pink dress, she told the son. But things aren't always as they appear. She also finds it hurtful that many men seem only interested in asking about threesomes when learning she is so she is bisexual. Quote, just because I am bi doesn't mean I want a threesome with everyone, she said, explaining her bisexuality. It just means I have more options when it comes to relationships. Atkins expressed hope that her public revelation will help others hiding in the closet. Quote, even if it helps one person to open up to their family or friends, it'd be such a great thing. End quote, she said. So yes, a little bit of bisexual recognition in Miss Great Britain. Hello? So she has, I'm stalking her Instagram right now. I knew it! I knew that's why you asked her name! (laughs) 
So I was talking her Instagram right now. Um, we can, we'll go ahead and we'll tag tag her in it, of course, because we're speaking on her. But oh my gosh, she's like you're posting. like oh we'll tag her in it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll tag her. No, she's oh my gosh, she's so cute. Um, but she's out here like also she posted um, which I love. She she posts on body positivity and she posted like like a picture of her um, stretch marks, which I think is really important because she she's yes. like this. Um, you know, idol, right? Great Miss uh, Britain. And her talking about um, weight loss and her weight loss journey and, and stuff. Not necessarily that she needed to, right, lose weight. If she, if she felt like she needed to, like 100%, that's her, you know? But I love that she's posting, like, her, her stretch marks because, like, bodies you know we all look a little different we all have a little yeah we all have a little bit of different shapes yeah we got a little bit of stretch marks here and there like totally normal um and having somebody that who is like um this like positive body positive um i don't know if she's body positive but to me it seemed like it because she's posting her stretch marks which i think is cool um just normalizing that because a lot of people i mean we all have a little a little something here and there so Mm Yeah, so I'm definitely going to give her a follow. Yes. Yes. Um, But, oh my gosh, yes. Also, I love that she mentioned the fact that, like, bisexual people, they don't want... A threesome. To have threesomes with everyone. Like, I mean, unless they're into that. Like, that's totally cool. But not all of them. Yeah. Um, And I have been, and I have been, like, asked so often. Like, that's, like, literally one of the first things that people ask me, like, like, when I was on Tinder... Oh my gosh, like I would match with some like really cute girl or something. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, like 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 all excited. And then she would just like ask me straight up for, for a threesome, which I'll okay. Like with the man? Like Oh yeah, the, uh, with like her boyfriend. And I, I would be kind of just uh, honey, I'm not here for that. Hello. Yeah, and I don't like no shame on on their game. No, you know? no. Totally. Some I, people like, are interested in that. But yeah, you so, just but, weren't the particular individual for that scenario, but and that's okay. And it just sucks that it's always it's always that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. At least in my experience, it's such such a common question um, to get, and I feel like they don't put it on their Tinder like bio. I feel like that you should put it on your Tinder. Bio. Yeah, if that's what specifically like, what you're looking for. Especially if you have like also, which I respect because I see that sometimes. I I see people who put like it in their Tinder bio. Not that I have Tinder right now, but when I did, they would put it in their bio and they would put like a picture of their significant other, whoever they're trying to have the threesome with, which is, I respect that. They're, you're playing, you're being real upfront about it, which I, which I'm into. So yeah, maybe be a little bit more open. Yeah. Communication wise. And maybe don't ask every. <laughs> bisexual don't person. Don't assume every. Don't assume every bisexual They're into it. They'll tell you. They'll bring it up. A lot of them aren't. I mean, there's no harm in, like, asking, I guess. But, I mean, if you can communicate it before even going as far as to, like, match with them, that would be better. Also, don't make the assumption. Um, Yeah. There you go. And Mm -hmm. on to our last one. So, this is also something that we touched on. more? Yes. Okay. I'm excited. This is something that we touched on in uh, one of our irks and perks. And I believe it was your irk in our episode, in our second irk and perk. So, I have a little bit of updates for you. Yes. Updates. Hello. Nurse hits the road to get COVID vaccine to Native communities. So, I remember you mentioning that uh, the Native American communities were 
very heavily impacted when coronavirus hit um, in regard to like resources and everything for like assistance and whatnot. So this is a story by Victoria Mall Ramirez, Gina Sanceri, Trevor Alt, Lindsay Griswold, and Haley Yamada. And this comes from, I don't remember where this comes from, but um, it'll be on the blog. Um, so, across a state of sprawling prairies, loosely bound by lonesome highways, one infection control nurse is facing the carnage of COVID-19 head-on. For months, Molly Longbreak has traveled miles to help administer doses of the vaccine and to aid roughly 12,000 people on 4,000 square miles of the Cheyenne River Reservation in South Dakota. There is only one hospital on the reservation, which is fucking crazy! Um... Despite pushback from the state government last April over traffic concerns, the state tribes set up checkpoints along highways leading into reservations to mitigate the spread of the virus. On February 19th, Longbreak and her team traveled to the Cherry Creek Clinic to administer the Moderna vaccine in lieu of general stores and pharmacies. The clinic is typically staffed by one person and is the only place to purchase over-the-counter basic medications like aspirin. My god. I know, right? Opal Morrison was the first in town to receive the shot. She said she was urged by her children to get it. Quote, they encouraged me, but I encouraged them to come up here, but they're scared. End quote, said Morrison. Opal and her spouse both got the shot, then Longbreak and her team waited hours before their third patient. June, Little Shield, arrived. Little Shield caught the virus months before and spent weeks in the hospital, and she still has not regained her sense of taste and smell. Quote, it's very scary. I don't wish it upon anybody. There was a couple of times I panicked and I couldn't breathe, and I didn't know if I was going to come out or not, she said. Only Little Shield, Morrison, and Morrison's spouse showed up to take the shot in Cherry Creek. Longbreak and her team had traveled almost an hour to administer three shots. Quote, one person vaccinated is a huge accomplishment for us, said Longbreak. One death is too many and we've, and we've already lost people from the reservation and it's very difficult and saddening, end quote. Longbreak's mother, Donna Ray Peterson, one, is one of the 500,000 Americans who've died from COVID-19. Her mother had dedicated her life to cultural preservation for the Cheyenne River Sui tribe, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, and Longbreak has taken that on the mantle. Quote, in a way, it is because experiencing the loss personally of somebody so close to me, I wouldn't want anybody else to experience that, and nobody wants that on any level, said Longbreak. It just hits a little bit closer to home for me. Longbreak and her team of healthcare workers have already administered almost 4,000 vaccine doses. The effects of the pandemic stretch far beyond the reservation's borders. Governor Christy Noem has never instituted a mask mandate as part of her long resistance to implementing COVID-related safety regulations in South Dakota. Quote, we are not and will not be the subjects of an elite class of so-called experts. We don't shun people who think for themselves, end quote, Noam said in August 2020. Last summer, hundreds of thousands of bikers gathered at a motorcycle rally in the Sturgis, South Dakota. Many attendees said they weren't afraid of the virus, even ensuing surges of the cases. Many South Dakota residents... Can I just say that we did cover that story? As well? (laughs) Wasn't that where we made the Shrek reference to Smash Mouth? Yes! Yes! Yes, we did cover that already, so um, we could go ahead and put what episode we covered that in the blog. I also believe well. that was episode two. I think they're in the same... Oh yeah, I think they were in the same wow. episode. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> Many sense. attendees said they weren't afraid of the virus. Even in the ensuing surge of cases, many South Dakota residents were indifferent to safety measures like mask wearing and social distancing. Following the event, the state had some of the highest rates of infection in the county. Stephanie Venga and her father, John Foster owned the Depot Pub in Mitchell, South Dakota, where the town just voted against a mask mandate. They said they don't have anything against masks, but avoid wearing them like most of their customers. 
you wear underwear, so it's like, why can't you wear a mask? I'm assuming these people wear underwear. Anyways, um, some of these states where they have been shut down for over a year now, I don't know when they, how they're going to recover. Send the nah. I think, I, I just want to say really quick before I forget, I think there should be a vote. Yeah. But also, I think there should be, like, better education when it comes to um, what the virus is. Because you're not necessarily, when you're saying that you're against the mask wearing and against the regulations, you're not just hurting yourself because you could be transmitting this to vulnerable people. Oh, yeah. Um, so not necessarily like if somebody like just doesn't give a shit, right? If they get the virus and they're, they're totally comfortable putting themselves at risk, there is no, um, there is no reason for you to put other people at risk. And that is why it is so important to, um, just follow the, the guidelines, CDC guidelines, because you are not just putting yourself at risk. You are putting others at risk. Yes. Nearby at Cherry Bee's Floral, owner Dick Anderson said he almost lost his business due to the stance on masks. Quote, it's something I strongly believe in. Just wear it. It's not that big of a deal, he said. You can get pushback. I've had people come in and go, well, I don't wear masks, so I don't want to wear a mask. And I'm not a policeman, so I'm not going to police it. A year into the pandemic, infection rates in South Dakota are down, and the state has been vaccinating its residents more quickly than almost anywhere else in America. Outside the tribal community, more than 18% of those eligible have already received at least one dose of vaccine, about 5% higher than the nationwide average, according to South Dakota Department of Health. Shankar Kura is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for Monument Health and oversees the vaccine rollout in essentially the entire western portion of the state. Quote, we always get inquiries about, hey, where's, when is my turn, Kura said. We're basically giving away everything we get. And so roughly we used to get anywhere from 3,000 vaccine to 3,500 vaccines. And now we get, give them away just as soon as we get them. Kura said they have the capacity to administer up to 10,000 doses. The success is due to the tireless effort of healthcare workers like Long Break. We are, as we would say, Medikawai Ayasun. Quote, we are relatives, Long Break said. So yeah, so just to give you an update on a little topic that we spoke about earlier in our Erks and Perks episode. Yes, I was, I think, I believe I did speak on mostly the Navajo, um, but I'm, I'm glad that, that there are, especially in South Dakota, because, because of the, their super high rate, right, uh, especially after the motorcycle rally, I'm glad that, um, they're, oh <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that they're getting vaccines out there. Um, and like I said, even from the beginning of the pandemic, there has been people who have been doing such a good job, activists who are working really hard um, to educate people and to, to help um, the, get people access to PPE and vaccines and testing and, and everything. So like huge shout out to them and just like, just like we're, yes. we're grateful. For, yes. for you guys. So many great stories this month, Dylan. I thank you for sharing with me and yes. thank you so much for listening to um everything that I've covered as well. And it just makes me so happy that we're back here once again to bring the people another irk yes. and perks. Irks and perks. Bring them yes. what they want. We're answering we're we're giving we're giving the people what they want. <laughs> yes. They don't. We're just Everything's y'all. on the table. We're giving y'all your <laughs> Take stuff. what you will. Yeah. But anyways You know we can talk for like literally hours, but hours. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we only speak in long periods of time L- at a time. Literally. We can't we can't like have like a two minute conversation that never happens. Yeah, like no. It's never just like a hi bye. It's always like a oh my gosh, did you see? And then we did end up see? talking did about like dinosaurs. <laughs> literally. Yeah. So 
Zach, it has been a pleasure. Thank you yes, so much for another an absolute pleasure. Oh, wonderful episode. Oh, and thank I you. I hope the people, the, I hope the people love it. Thank you guys so much for listening and joining us today's episode. We will have a featured organization on our blog. We will be updating you guys on on the, you know, past and previous. We already have uh, covered some of our previous stories that we've done we will continue to update you on those and if you guys have any suggestions on stories we can do next for our next irks and perks go ahead and let us know yeah just so you know this segment does uh we do do it every month so thank you guys so much for joining us this month yes and we will see y'all in april oh my gosh oh yeah i know yes but i know i know yeah okay Are, are you ready We are Whisper Whisper Podcasts. Woo! Bye! Bye! Thanks for listening to Whisper Podcasts. We're Zach and Dylan, and you can find us at Whisper Podcasts on Instagram and on Twitter at Whisper underscore Podcasts. Visit our website and blog at thewhisperpodcast.com. Interested in chatting with us live? Send us a DM at one of the social sites or reach out at whisperwfpodcast at gmail.com with potential interviewee stated in the subject line. Cover art by Dylan Gomez. Editing by Zach Tyler. Music by audionautics.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Love the show? Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We are a completely independent show, and if you'd like to give your support for the show and get a shout-out on air with a special gift, you can find us at WhisperPodcasts on Patreon.com. Zach and Dylan are not licensed professionals, nor do we claim to be. Podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you or a loved one are in need of immediate help, we recommend that you contact a licensed professional or a hotline pertaining to your needs, which can be found on our website under the Help Is Here tab.